Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning. It's great to see you. If you're joining us online, we're so grateful that you are. Let me ask you, have you ever been the victim of identity theft? Has that ever happened for you? Uh, it happens to one in 20 Americans every year. And so uh, sometimes it's just small stuff, like someone gets your credit card and buys some stuff. Sometimes it's bigger stuff. Someone buys a house and pretends they're you. And uh, you know, the guy, the, the, the identity theft people, just like, give you a clue. It happened to us a couple of years ago. And, and here's the way the smart ones are doing it. They're doing it the Netflix model, where they're just taking like 14 bucks over and over and over again. Because they're smart and they know that if you go and you take three grand from someone, they're gonna notice, you take 14 bucks, and, it, and someone took like 14 bucks from us like, a, like 60 times, because we're just, we're paying that close attention. And so we, uh, last, last crowd was awesome, guys, let's be awesome. And so uh, at, at 20% of Americans uh, experience identity theft each year, it's a big deal, uh, but here's the bigger deal. I think a whole lot more of us are experiencing identity theft of, of a different kind. Where, where when it comes to our true sense of, of who we really are and our true sense of, of, of why our life is valuable, I, I think most of us are, are, have allowed some of that to be stolen from us. And so we're in this series we kicked off called Mind Games. We're talking about the importance of the thoughts that we think. I, I do want to encourage you in this series and, and in all of our series, if you want some more resources, we do this thing called Digging Deeper. You can find it on your Bible app under more and then under events and then under Life Church Reno. There's this whole section of notes and then our life groups, the majority of them discuss some of those questions and resources that are given in that uh, Digging Deeper section. So I encourage you to track that through this series and all of our series. But we're talking about just the importance of our thoughts. And so if you have your Bibles, go over to Proverbs chapter four. So last week I shared with you how, how our thoughts play this huge role in our life. Our, our, our thoughts direct the directions that we're headed. Our thoughts really define who we are in many ways. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. And, and we looked at this key passage, key verse, that's sort of our key verse for this series, Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, Guard your heart. Now, we talked last week how, how in, the, in the biblical languages and in the, and the culture that the, the, the scriptures were written in, um, the cultures that the, that the scriptures were written in, the line between mind and, and heart and thoughts and emotions much fuzzier than we tend to think of it. And so when you see mind, you see heart. A great way to think of each is, is my inner person, my inner man, my inner Woman, And so above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And, and then uh, it also, uh, we see the New Living Translation, guard your heart above all else. Why? For it determines the course of your life. Now last week, we talked about how our most important thoughts that we'll ever think are the thoughts that we think about God. And, and the second most important thoughts that we'll ever think flow out of how we see God, but are, are the second most important thoughts you'll ever think are the thoughts that you think about yourself. And so I wanna talk to you today about this whole idea of identity. 
and that my sense of identity, who I am, what gives me a sense of meaning and value as a person. And I want to share with you that I really believe that there are these subtle shifts that can transform our lives. Now, as I was wrapping up the prep for for this message, um, it began to dawn on me, hey, I really could have made this about three messages. And so I wanna challenge you. I'm gonna give you a lot of content this morning, but I believe that those of you that will engage this fully, it will be transformative for your life. I believe we're talking about just one of the biggest things that we will ever talk about. It's this sense of who are we really. These subtle shifts can transform our lives. Here's the first one. A shift from an achievement identity to a received identity. See, many of us think that, that who we are and why we matter is, is primarily based on what we do and how we perform. An identity rooted in my achievement leads to pressure. Now, all of us should have a desire to do our best and, and to do it to honor God, to maximize the gifts that he's given us. We believe God's honored by excellence, but, but when my whole sense of worth is rooted in my achievement, then I have this great sense of pressure where, where, I, where in every situation, if, if I don't win, then I begin to not just feel like I lost, I begin to feel like a loser. There's this pressure that, that I'm going through life constantly. There's a, my, an identity rooted in my achievement leads to pressure and it leads to pride. So those moments, if, if, my, if my whole sense of value and personhood is in what I do and how I perform and the grades I make and, and how high I go on that corporate ladder and if I get that, that salary increase, not so much for the money, but just because I believe that this achievement really defines me, that, that what happens is when I succeed, I begin to be filled with an unhealthy pride. Well, why am I the only person on this team that's working this hard? Why am I the only one that's, that's pulling this much over time? Why is everybody around me just so stupid? So it leads to this unhealthy pride when I win. So if my, if my identity's rooted in my achievement, when I feel like I'm winning, I get prideful. When I feel like I'm losing, I feel this great shame. Man, I got a C instead of an A. Uh, someone else got the promotion. Someone else got the bonus. Uh, so I, I didn't make that big sale that, I, that the last two years I had made. This year, I didn't make it. And so now I just feel this, this great shame that I am less of a person because of my achievement and my performance. It leads to pressure, pride, and shame. And the whole idea is that I have to earn love and acceptance and, and a sense of value. I have to earn it. This idea that my sense of of who I am, if I'm accepted, if I'm valuable, is rooted in what I do, how well I do it, my overall performance. It's this achievement identity. It it really manifests a couple of ways that we see. One is this idea that that my whole sense of, of worth and identity comes in winning at life, however I define that. Whatever that means, as a kid, it might meant your grades or, or getting the home run in the game, scoring the most points on the team. It might have looked like feeling like you were the prettiest. 
Then it can transition into getting into the right college. And as long as I get into this school, then I, then I feel good about myself. But if I end up not getting into this school, then I, then I don't really feel like I'm winning at life. And then moving up the career ladder, what happens, those of us that, that walk with this achievement identity, that, that what uh, my value, my worth, my meaning is based on what I do, we, we, we transition this into how we parent where it's no longer we simply want God's best for our kids and we want our kids to honor God with their lives and grow and develop and be great people for their sake. Our motive is we want to win at parenting. And, and, we, and as long as these kids are killing it in life, then it looks like we're good parents. But if they didn't do so well in the game and their grades aren't so good and they're a little more obnoxious at that dinner, then we're like, we suck as parents. You, you ever had that moment? But then when you have that, uh, when you have that kid that's killing it for a season, and then our insta, your kid is the star on the team and getting the best grades and is always polite and winsome, and then you're around some other people and their kids are less, there is this instinct to say, gosh, I think we're better parents than them. <laughs> the tra transitions into how we approach our parenting. And, and really, it's this whole thing of, of when I go through life with an achievement identity that I believe that my value and worth is based on my performance and what I do. Any uh, UFC fans here? God hates that. It's violence. And uh, um, Ronda Rousey, 2015, May 12th, SI named her the world's most dominant athlete. ESPN fan poll voted her the best female athlete of all time. First woman to ever win an Olympic medal in judo, one of the youngest Olympians ever, goes on to this epic UFC, beginning to her career, 12 and 0, almost all the fights ending in, in the first round. She was amazing. And then in November 2015, she lost, and she lost very badly. Look at this quote from Ronda Rousey after this loss. She says, I was literally sitting there and thinking about killing myself. And at the exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? And no one cares about me without this. It's really this essence of this achievement identity. As long as I'm winning, my life matters. As long as I'm moving up the career ladder, my life matters. As long as I'm, I, I'm winning, and whatever, however I define that, I'm valuable. I, I uh, I began being a senior pastor when I was 25. Started a church in Colorado, we were there four years, great experience. And for that first 10 years, from when I was 25 to, to 35, the first four years there, the first six years here, my whole sense of worth and identity was meaningfully based on how Sunday went. And so if we had a good service and everything went well and people seemed to dig it and there was a few more people here than there were the last time on this same Sunday, then I would go into that week feeling pretty great about myself. But if Sunday didn't go awesome and there was just not a great sense of mojo and maybe there was less people here than the same Sunday last year, it, could, it would, for, for a couple, three days, I would just stew over, well, what's wrong? And, and my whole sense of, of my sense of value and meaning was rooted in how Sunday went. And, and I ultimately realized about 10 years ago that if I, keep, if I keep finding my value here, this is going to drive me crazy. It's this achievement I identity. 
A lot of times this achievement identity crosses over into how we engage God. Feeling like we need to earn God's love and acceptance by doing all the right things. That was that if I'm keeping all the right rules and I'm checking the checklist, then God loves me more. But if I'm having a rough patch and, and I'm making some mistakes and doing some things that I'll come to regret, that God loves me less in those moments. And sometimes this, 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 this way we look at life sometimes can be informed by just how we were raised. Now, I think most of our parents tried to do the best that they can. Just like most of us are doing the best that we can. I've heard it said, it's, when it comes to parenting, it's not a matter of, of if you will drop your child on their head, it's just a matter of how hard. And, uh, and, and uh, sometimes this achievement identity comes from parents who maybe that your perception or the reality was that it, they really only truly felt loving or connected or like they noticed you when you got straight A's or when you were doing really well in the ball game. It was in those moments that you really felt valued, loved, and seen. And so it's just crept into how you approach life that if I'm winning, I matter, but if I don't feel like I'm winning, then I feel worthless. See, an identity received by grace, it brings freedom. My love and acceptance is based on who God is, not on who I am, and not on what I've done. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Here's a second shift. Shift from a fickle love identity to a fixed love identity. See, some people, you're, you don't find your sense of, of identity primarily in what you do. You primarily find your sense of identity about, as to what people think about you. And, and, and so your goal is, is that if people think uh, that I'm great, then I'm great. And if people don't think I'm great, then I'm not great. Let me tell you the news. Most people aren't thinking about you at all. <laughs> but we get, this, we get this sense of who we are that's very connected to what other people think about us, say about us, feel towards us. Here's the thing. An identity rooted in the fickle opinions or temporary love of others leads to insecurity. Well, I wonder what they're thinking about me now. I know when we hung out last week, it seemed like everything was good, but then I, I saw them the other day and it didn't seem like they were as happy to see me. There was a lady that I saw in the parking lot of the church one day this week and normally she's very friendly to me. And, and she was, I don't know, 40 yards from me and, and, and I waved at her in a way that I felt like we were making eye contact and waving. I waved and smiled and I just got nothing. And for about the next three or four minutes, I just thought, Man, does she hate me now? <laughs> and then I began to think, well, maybe she didn't see me. Maybe she thought I was waving to someone behind her. Maybe she has actually something else going on in her life other than thinking about me. How could that even be true? <laughs> but we do, we, we, we start, it's just, we just get in our head and we feel insecure. We fall into people pleasing. If my sense of worth is found in what you think about me, then I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to make you like me. I'll say things to you that aren't true. I'll pretend I like things that I don't like. I will fall into this trap of people pleasing. I'll, I'll fall into this trap of disappointment. If, if my sense of worth and value is based on what you think of me, then, then on, on the days you're thinking less of me or, or, or on the days you're just having a bad day. Or, or here's, here's the fact, and I don't mean to be a downer, but I'm just gonna tell you the truth because it's what I do. The number of relationships in your life that are going to last a lifetime 
and be dominantly positive. That is a small number. Some, peop some people are in your life for a season and it's okay. Some people are in your life and it is a meaningful mix of, of being built up but also being disappointed and hurt. And so if my whole sense of worth and identity is found in what you think of me, that I'm gonna go through life disappointed. And, and, and what it's gonna do is, it's, is I'm going to give more power to people's words and potential lies than I should give. Now listen, we should love people. And God, that's, that's what Jesus must make very clear. That's a very big deal. But when I begin to live for the opinion of others, then I open myself up to, to be meaningfully wounded from things that they will say that are not ultimately true about me. Now, a lot of, this, a lot of times, as, as children, this happens to us because we're not old enough to discern if, if this is what someone's saying about us is true, or if a parent makes a declaration about us, and we don't have the sense to know, is this that, 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 that mom and dad really think this about me or is this that they just had a really bad day and they're just saying mean stuff? But I think most of us, whether it's a parent or a teacher, I, last service I just began just sort of extemporaneously just talking about my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Mathis. And it's amazing. That was 35, 36 years ago. I can fully go back to that room. I, now listen, that was the year before they discovered I had ADHD. I probably wasn't fun to have in her class. <laughs> but I can, I can like fully viscerally go back to in that classroom and just the things she would say that like stuck. Because I wasn't old enough to know this is just a miserable old lady. It's, um, again, I overspoke. Second service, told myself I wasn't gonna do it. Dr. Braun, I'm gonna see you for some therapy this week. You're gonna help me. And so um, it's, uh, but I think all of us have those moments where maybe someone said, you're never gonna amount to anything. And it's stuck. Or, or you are lazy or you are dumb. But there's this freedom when, when we don't live for the fickle love and opinions for, uh, of others, but we shift into to finding our identity in the fixed love of the Father, an identity rooted in the fixed and forever love of the Father leads to peace, steadiness, confidence, and healing with the truth. Here's the third thing. Sometimes we try to find our identity in our achievement. Sometimes you try to find our identity in what people say about us. Sometimes you try to find our identity in, in, the, in our acquisition. If we shift, shift from an acquisition identity to a co-heir identity, See, an acquisition identity, my identity and sense of value and worth is based on how much I have. See, in an acquisition identity, my self-worth is based on my net worth. Ecclesiastes 5.10 tells us that, that, that more is never enough. John D. Rockefeller, the first, world's first billionaire, was asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. My self-worth is based on my net worth and more will never be enough and I will always be at risk of losing everything. Talk more about that a little bit in the weeks to come. You see, what we all desperately long for is this feeling like, I, like that I matter, my life has meaning, and my life is valuable. And there is no doubt that in those moments where we feel like we're winning at life, that a sense of achievement can make me for a while feel like my life matters. And, and, and God is honored when we try to do well. There's, but, but here's the thing, when my identity is based on my achievement, when my career's not going well, then my whole sense of value just, just deflates. 
or when I'm three years out from retirement age and I've spent the last 40 years making my whole sense of value about killing it in this one thing and now I see the moment where that's no longer gonna be what my life's about, then my whole sense of value just disappears. And there is no doubt that people thinking you are awesome is great. And it can, for a moment, give you a great sense of value. But as soon as people begin to not think you are as awesome or they meaningfully disappoint you, then I am rocked and destroyed and my whole sense of value and worth disappears. Definitely temporary. And there's no doubt having a 6,000 square foot house here in town and a 6,000 square foot house on Lakeshore up an incline and $5 million worth of apple stock. I mean, who wouldn't just give that a try just to find out? <laughs> but here's the fact. All of those things have the risk of being taken from you and one day you will be taken from all of those things. They're all just temporary. But what I, I think what we all really long for is a sense of meaning and value and identity in something that is fixed and can't be changed. And we find that in who God says I am. Here's the, here's the truth. I'm immensely valuable because of who God says that I am. Now I could spend, I could, I could probably list 40 things about who does God say we are and how does it shape how we see ourselves. I'm just gonna share with you a handful of what I think are the biggest. Here's the first thing. I'm valuable because uh, I am his special creation. Have you ever been in an art museum and you look at a piece of art and you think, I think I could do that. <laughs> and maybe my kindergartner could also do that. And then they're like, well, this is a Picasso. It sold for $30 million. Its value comes because of who created it. And your value comes because of who created it. Now, now if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you, he's actually created you twice. See, we know in the, in, in the beginning that he created all of us in his image. He stamped his, his, his very imprint on our lives. And then we're told, as, as when we become followers of Jesus, that he's made us again. He's made us new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And so my simple sense of value, it comes from the fact that I have been created. I am his special creation. And here's the thing, nothing can change that if you're a follower of Jesus. No matter what you do, no matter what people think of you, no matter how much you do or don't have, you are valuable because of who made you. And he's making you new. So here's the second truth. My value comes because I am loved and have been adopted into his family. Let me show you three pictures. Who's the guy on the left? Prince George, good job. Who's the person in the middle? Paris Hilton, and who's the person on the right? George W, or just W. Now here's the fact. What do those three people have in common? If it wasn't for the family they belong to, you would never have heard of them. Now listen, I voted for George W. Bush. You'll just never convince me he doesn't become president if his dad wasn't president. Can we disagree to that? I think we can. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> You know who George is because his grandfather's the king of England. You know who Paris Hilton is because her grandfather started Hilton Hotels and then W. It's their whole sense of who they are was firmly rooted in the family that they came from. 
And the same is true with us. Let me show this to you. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Remember the little phrase in Christ. For he chose us in him, remember that, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption, to sonship, to daughtership, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Here's the, here's the fact. We at Life Church, we are very passionate about adoption. Claire and I have adopted three little boys. It's, it's, we're very passionate because we believe it expresses God's heart because that's what God has done for us, that, it, that he loved us and chose us to be adopted into his family. And so no matter how, how much you achieve, no matter what people think about you, no matter how much money you do or don't have, you have immense worth because you were loved and chosen to be a part of God's family. Here's the third truth. You're loved, you're valuable, your sense of identity comes because if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been declared perfect and holy. See, we have a concept of the idea that something becomes more valuable based on how perfect it is. Have you ever gone and looked at uh, diamonds and, and, and rings and jewelry? Claire lost her wedding ring 10 years ago, and we've been, for 10 years, we were having cheap uh, little kind of like silver rings just to act like we're married, and, and, uh, but it felt like... Uh, you know, and so our 25th anniversary, we go out looking at jewelry, and I've not gone to a jewelry store looking at jewelry in just a very long time. And I just have this knack of, of I will walk in, and I'll just walk up, and, and I will just, without trying, I will just always point to the most expensive thing in that little glass. Well, how much is that ring? Well, that ring's $30,000, sir. Well, what else do you have? Um, <laughs> And then they'll show me another ring that's a tenth the cost. And I was like, those don't look that different. And they're like, well, you know what? If you look with this little glass, uh, this ring here, this diamond, it's, it's about near perfect. And this one's got a whole bunch of little flaws that you can't see with the naked eye. And I was like, the good news is no one's walking around with that little glass thing. <laughs> I was like, I don't buy rings that also cost as much as cars. I believe that should be in the Bible. It's a... Uh, and, and, but the value is in its flawlessness. Let me read this to you. So you are, we see Ephesians 1 verse three, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. You see, that word holy means a lot of things. If you just wanna think of it simply, that word holy means special, set apart, and perfect. It says you were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So no matter how well I achieve, no matter what people say about me, no matter how much money I do or don't have, my identity, my sense of value comes because I am flawless and I am perfect in his sight. So you say, well, how does that even work? See, that little, one of Paul's favorite phrases is this word, in Christ. It, it, we, we, he uses it over and over and over again. And, it, and theologians talk about this phrase, en Christo, this little phrase. It's to speak of this, this theological concept of union or incorporation. This, uh, and, and big picture what it means 
is that Christ as our representative, that, 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 that when I am united with him in Christ, this picture that we have in baptism, this picture of us being baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, this idea of this, this union, this oneness, that what is true of him becomes true about me. It's this whole idea. And, and we see it most clearly pictured in, in the Old Testament with David and Goliath. And, and where Goliath says, hey, how about you just send one person to fight me? We will be the representatives. And if my people win, then we're gonna kill a whole bunch of you and make the rest of you our slaves, if I win. And if your representative wins, then, then you're gonna end up killing a bunch of us and making us all your slaves. And there was this representative thing. And so this idea that when I am in Christ, I'm so united with him that, that what is true of him becomes true of me. And so that's why when God sees me, when God sees you, when God sees all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, he sees in us the perfection and the flawlessness of Jesus. And so my value comes because I'm perfect and holy. N.T. Wright, the great theologian, says it this way. When Paul speaks to us about being in Christ, in the center of what he means is that, now, that, that the king represents his people, so what happens to him happens to them, and what is true of him is true of them. See, my sense of identity, it's not about how much I achieve, not about what people think about me, not about how much I have. It's about the, that how God sees me, and, what, and God sees you having a mission and a purpose from him. You know your ultimate purpose in life. Your ultimate purpose in life is to reflect God. See, that when, when we see in, in the garden that we were created in the image of God, God says, I'm stamping my image on you, and, and, and you're going to reflect my glory, and you're going to represent me. That's why when, when God tells, tell, tells our first parents, he, he says, now your job is, is to rule. He says, you are my regents, if you will, my governors, if you will. You're here to represent me. And guess what? When Jesus, when, when Jesus was here and then left to, to ascend into heaven, he has said, you are my ambassadors. He said, you are my body. You are the physical representation. As my spirit is in you, you are here to reflect who I am, my character, which is the fruit of the spirit, my glory, and my purposes. You are my regents. You're my governors. And so I've been given this epic mission to reflect the glory of God and to represent him on earth. Earth. And so we th when we think of value, we think, well, what, what is the purpose of this item? See, there's things I could say up here, hey, hey this thing's $50,000. It's a can opener. Who wants to buy one? <laughs> hey, this thing's $50,000. It will keep your house spotless. It will do all of your laundry and cook every meal, whatever you want, perfectly. Who's going to buy one? The value comes from the purpose. And your value comes and that you were created to reflect God's glory and to represent him on earth. There's no higher purpose. Here's the last thing and we're done. How much is your house worth? Now you could Zillow. Here, I could tell you two answers. One, your house is worth 10% less than it was three months ago. You're welcome. Uh, your house is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. 
that's the ultimate, that's how we know what something's worth is when whatever someone's willing to pay for it. So your value doesn't come in what you accomplish or achieve, what people say about you or think about you, how much money you do or don't have. Your value comes that you are God's priceless possession. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then Peter, in case we don't understand clearly the metaphor that, that Paul's making here about this price, Peter spells out the price. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. That word redeemed, it's like a financial term. It has to do with, with purchasing, it had to do with like paying a ransom to set someone free. You were redeemed from the empty way of life. You know what an empty way of life is? Thinking that my, that, that my life is primarily about what I do and how much I achieve or primarily wrapped up in how popular I am and what people think of me or thinking that my value comes from how much I have and can acquire. He says, you've been set free from an empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. He says, you've been set free from seeing your identity in the same way that everybody else has always seen their identity. He says, you've been redeemed not by silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, the clearest picture of value of anything is what will someone pay for it? How much are you worth? What was God willing to pay for you? He gave his, his very self. No greater cost could be paid. There's no greater worth you can have. See, last week, we are talking about how we see God. And, and as, we, as you read the Old and New Testament, it's very, and it's all true, and it's all from God, and, but it's, it's easy to get, get caught up at different moments and say, well, well how does this make, what does this make me think about God? And what does this make me think about God? And sometimes we can trace rabbits or we can get confused. And in those moments, the best thing I can do to say, well, how, what is my lens through which I see God? I step back and look at the cross. The cross is the clearest lens for us to see who God really is. That he is holy and takes sin seriously, but that he is gracious and loving and wants us in his family. It says so much about who God is, but here's the thing. When you think about who you are, the clearest picture of who you are is also seen in the cross. Because in the cross, guess what? We see how jacked up we are. You're sitting next to someone jacked up, just kind of elbow them on the side a little bit. Like, I know you a little bit jacked up. If you're like, well, I don't know them, just elbow them anyway, because they are. If our problem was small, God would have sent us a self-help book. Our problem was giant. So he sent his son to die in our place. If we seem to turn over a new leaf, try a little harder, well, there's Doc, Dr. Phil could help us with that. We had a giant problem that all of us are more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. The cross shows us for that. 
that, that, that we were, were sinners in need of a savior, that we committed injustice against a perfect God and that, and, and that a price had to be paid. But so we see this clear picture of who I really am apart from Christ, with it, which, is, which is messed up and broken and sinful. Couldn't be clear, it was a massive problem I had. And that the only thing bigger than my brokenness is God's love for me. Where, where he stepped in and said, hey, you're, I'll take your sin and your brokenness upon myself and I'll give you my life and my flawlessness and my holiness and my perfection. It's, it's the, the clearest picture of who we are, both really broken and sinful, but the only thing larger than that is how supremely loved and precious we are to the Father where he said, I, I'll take it upon myself. It's the clearest picture of who we are. So your value is not rooted in how well you perform or achieve or earn it. And it's not rooted in what people think about you, say about you, or how popular you feel. And it's not rooted in how much you do or don't have for money and stuff. That all of those things, if you place your sense of identity in those, you are going to live a yo-yo life where sometimes one day you feel at the top of the world and two days you feel terrible because of someone, what someone said or what the stock market did or what happened at work and it's just gonna be up and down and up and down and you're gonna feel crazy. But when my identity is fixed in something secure and permanent that will never change, what God says about me and, the, and what he proved how he views me in the cross, then, then I, I go through life with, with, in a way where, where, where I still don't enjoy it. People say bad things about me. I still prefer to have money than to not have money. I still prefer to, to feel like I'm winning. All of those things are still true for us, but, but, but our whole sense of identity, we can still be okay when there's less, and we can be okay when work's not going great, and we can be okay when people say something mean about us. We can still be okay because our sense of who we are isn't found in those things. Let's pray together. Hey, I wonder, and I have a feeling, that some of you, if you were honest, the reality of what the cross means for you has never sunk in in a personal way. This clear picture that we do find ourselves sinful, broken, that we've all said things we shouldn't say, all thought thoughts we shouldn't thought, all done things we shouldn't do. And that because of that, we do find ourselves separate from this holy, perfect God but that in spite of how messed up we are, God never gave up on us. When we walked away from him, he walked towards us. And he said, I'm gonna pay the price that you could never pay. I'm gonna die the death that you deserve to die. And so in the cross, we see this picture of our brokenness and that the only thing bigger than our brokenness is the Father's immense love for us. Where he says, no matter, no matter how many times you feel like you've lost at life, no matter how many times people have said bad things about you that might have even been justified, no matter how poor you feel financially or relationally or spiritually, I love you. You are precious to me. 
precious enough that I would pay the ultimate price, which is myself. And maybe no one's ever told you that God loves you so much that that's why Jesus came. That God taking the punishment that I deserve upon himself, dying the death that I deserve to die because he loves you and because he loves me, because he sees you as immensely valuable. And that he rose from the dead, conquering our greatest enemies of sin and death and hell. So we don't have to go through life carrying a bunch of guilt and shame and regret, living in fear of what happens after we die. And maybe no one's ever told you what it means for this to become personal, what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe nobody's ever told you. The Bible's pretty clear, it's really just two things. The first is to believe, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to believe he died in our place taking the punishment we deserve, to believe he rose from the dead, really to believe that he's our only hope, that apart from him we're in a grand mess, there's no way we can fix ourselves. He came, he came because we can't. Believe he's your only hope. And then the second thing, the Bible uses this word repent. It really is just a, the idea of changing your mind that leads to a change of heart, change of direction. Really what it is, is it's saying, God, I don't wanna keep living life on my own terms where I am in charge, doing my own thing, living for myself. But God, best, best I know how, and with your help, I want to follow Jesus. I wanna give him the steering wheel of my life where he's in charge, not me. In the first service, there was a bunch of people who said, that's what I need to do. And I have a feeling that some of you this morning, maybe this is all new information, or maybe this is something you've heard a hundred times, but you've never made it personal. You've never come to that spot he said, I wanna become a follower of Jesus. I wanna give my life to Christ and I just wanna give you a chance to do it. I believe there's some of you this morning, there's something inside of you that's saying that this is the most true thing you've ever heard in your life and that this is what you need. And if that's you, I just wanna lead you in a prayer and it's really less about a prayer and more about just what's going on in your heart, but there's power in looking back at a moment where you just know that you made the choice to follow Jesus. So I wanna pray a prayer and, and you can pray something like it in your heart, something like this. God, I need you. And God, I believe that Jesus is your son and I believe that he died in my place and I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe that he is my only hope. And I don't wanna keep living life where I'm in charge, doing my own thing. But I wanna give you the steering wheel of my life where I'm no longer in charge, but you are. So Father, even now, would you come and live inside of me and take control of me in the person of your Holy Spirit? I wonder in our heads bowed, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder how many of you say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer with all my heart and really meant it for the first time. I just wanna be able to rejoice with you. It's just you and me, everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But if you prayed that prayer with me and really meant it, I just wanna invite you just to raise your hand 
and then look up and let your eyes meet mine. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, just raise your hand and look up at me so I can see you. I see you there, buddy. Anyone on the, I see you guys in the back, both, I see you. What do I see you there? I see you in there in the back. I see you in the back, back, buddy. I see you there. Anybody else in this section over here? Say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer and really mine. What about in this far section on my left? Anyone here say, you know what, I just prayed that I just see you guys. Anybody else? So Father, we rejoice knowing that you see every set of eyes, every hand, but Lord, we know that you see every heart. Lord, I pray that these, Lord, would chase after you for the rest of their lives. Lord, I pray it'd help all of us, Lord, to find our sense of who we are in And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.